Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Well, as I'm recording these words, it is the first day of November, which on the Christian calendar is the feast day of all saints, in which Christians all around the world gather to celebrate the lives of those saints who have gone on before us as well as to give thanks for those saints living still today. It's also, I think, a time to remember how all the saints were sustained by the love and grace of God in Jesus Christ our Savior, and how that continues in us today. That's the subject of today's message, which is based on the very rich imagery that's contained in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. It's a message entitled, at the end of the day. Well, the story goes that on a particular Sunday morning during morning worship, the pastor was talking about matters of life, death, and afterlife during the children's sermon. He'd actually spent a great deal of time, planned the whole thing out to the word. And, and he wanted to talk to these kids about what God had promised to those who believed. And it was going wonderfully. And when he had finished with his talk, he said to the children that were gathered there before him, Now then, don't you want to go to heaven? And most of the kids, of course, as you would hope, joined in a chorus of affirmation. All except one little boy in the front row who responded quickly and rather lame and rather loudly, no way, not me, no. Of course, this was decidedly not what the pastor was expecting or hoping to hear. And so, of course, that needed a response, and he looked at the little boy and asked, you mean you don't want to go to heaven when you die? Oh, answered the boy, when I die? Oh, sure. I thought you were getting a group together to go right now. That's how children's sermons go. But you know what, it is true, even for us adults who name ourselves as believers, as the saying goes, when life is sweet, heaven can wait. By that I mean that when life's blessings are pouring down in abundance, when relationships are solid, when faith comes easy on such occasions, to quote Edmund Steinle, questions about the afterlife aren't really all that pressing. We simply and purposefully move through our days bolstered by the confident, if somewhat vaguely understood, assurance that when the time comes, when the time comes, heaven will be there waiting for us. On the other hand, however, we all know that life does not always consist of of what we would perceive as an endless outpouring of blessing. That there are going to be times when things get difficult and faith will be a really hard thing to hold on to. Now the catalyst might be illness or grief, financial issues, relationship concerns. It could be any number of life's many challenges. Hey, 2020 alone has offered up plenty of reasons for despair, right? The point here is that these are the times and situation 
when a concern for heaven's promise and heaven's reality becomes rather central to our thoughts and prayers. These are the moments when a sure and certain hope is what we long for most of all. Back in seminary, I did a paper my senior year on the theology contained within African-American spirituals, those songs that are such an indelible part of our Christian hymnody, as well as the musical landscape of this nation. I love these songs, always have, and I was sort of approaching this paper from a musical perspective. But as I started to research these songs, I discovered, or at least I had the, the, the belief reinforced, is that this music was really not created out of any real desire for art. Though, you know, certainly art is what those songs are. But rather they were created as an expression of great and redeeming hope. Both in this life, where these songs often served as a rallying cry for liberation and freedom via the Underground Railroad, as well as freedom that comes in the life to come. For instance, when the slaves sang of heaven being a place where all God's children had shoes, when I get to heaven, I'm going to wear my shoes. They sang those words as an affirmation that however hopeless their situation was now, someday, someday they would be living the life that God had intended for them. And, and at the last, if not on earth, then in heaven, they would finally be who and whose they really are. Now, while it is true, friends, that in our comfort and privilege of this age, most of us cannot even begin to wholly appreciate the meaning and the cultural impact of those songs, nonetheless, and I think this is the reason that they have remained such a strong part of our hymnody, there is for each of us powerful promise for when we find ourselves in times of trouble. An assurance that there will be one final decisive victory over all that which, which would seek to destroy us. That in the end, God in Christ shall have his way with the world that he created and which he loves without measure. And that those who suffer and those who will find themselves in the grip of death will find their salvation because nothing in life or death or all creation will separate us from the love of God. No matter what befalls us in this life, our enduring blessing is that God is with us, that God is actively seeking us out, searching for us, inviting us into his love and care. As C.S. Lewis has put it, God is relentless in seeking what is his. And this, you see, is the vision that we're given in our text for this morning, the one that Sarah just shared with us from the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation is, to say the very least, one of the most difficult books of the Bible to wrap our minds around. It's a prophetic work. It's, it's overflowing with rich, diverse, 
and oftentimes dense and confusing symbolism. And the tendency for many people who seek to study this portion of scripture is to try to match it up with whatever's happening in the world, with, as if to crack some kind of apocalyptic biblical code. Now, I'm not going to argue that theology here, but I would say to you this morning that I, we need to be careful with that kind of thinking because I think at least it risks diminishing the powerful message that comes to us in this final book of the New Testament. Here's a little background here. Historically speaking, the book of Revelation is a vision given to a Christian named John at the end of the first century. And by the way, most biblical scholars understand that this was not the John who wrote the fourth gospel, but rather a member of the early church who had been, because of his faith, banished to the small island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. William Willimon, in his commentary on this text, puts it very bluntly that this was a man who was a member of a tiny movement on the fringe of a great empire. And he was part of a fragile church hanging on by its fingernails for life. What we know as the book of Revelation was, in fact, an epistle to encourage the Christians who lived in the seven churches of Asia Minor to remain faithful to Christ, even as they were facing persecution, if not annihilation, at the hands of the Roman authorities. Basically, this was a bleak time for the early church. Their, their very existence was being threatened. So imagine John's astonishment to be given such a stunning vision as what we've shared here this morning. A throne room filled with a multitude of people from every nation and replete with all the trappings of royalty. And, this is the best part, it's the Lamb of God, the same Lamb who knows what it is to suffer, to be condemned to death, to be slain and humiliated, the Lamb once crucified and pushed aside by the ways of a cruel and sinful world. This is the Lamb of God who now sits on the throne and who rules all creation from the center of heaven. That is an incredible vision. I went online uh, earlier this week and I was looking at some of the artistic representations of this particular passage of scripture. And there was so much to see even in those artists' renderings. Hundreds of years ago, St. Augustine described these scenes as being ineffable, that is, beyond words. And I dare say that time has not given us an adequate means of conveying the deepest meanings of, of this vision. Suffice to say here that this revelation is our ending and our answer to all the questions we pose about what life and this world is really all about. It's what sets forth the final victory of God in Christ over a hurting and rebellious world. The victory that most certainly will come to pass in the fulfillment of God's own vision of time. It is, as I am often wont to say, the sure and certain promise of God. And it is good news indeed. But here's the thing. It's not the end of the vision. 
In the midst of all of this, you see, is this multitude of white-robed worshipers. They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. This is, by the way, why this particular passage is often read on Palm Sunday. And they're standing there, and the question is asked, who are these robed in white? And where have they come from? And the answer is given. These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These, you see, were the faithful who had endured to the end. These were the believers who suffered contempt and loneliness and abuse because they would not deny their Lord. Now, some of them were truly the saints of God, martyrs who died dramatic and glorious deaths for the sake of their faith. But there were also those gathered among these multitudes who might be referred to as ordinary saints, the ones who played their part in the great drama of creation and salvation by showing unswerving loyalty to Christ in whatever their circumstances happened to be. Here they all were, each one of them standing before the throne of God in heaven, believers who had once known suffering, yet now hungered no more, thirsted no more, the faithful who were sheltered by God's presence shepherded by Christ and who have been refreshed by the waters of eternal life. So what we have here, you see, is a vision of the church, a church that even in the midst of its greatest tribulation is able to sing a song of victory because whatever struggles it faces in the present time, it will prevail. It will prevail because the power of death has already been vanquished forever in the cross of Christ. And the best part of this is that though this vision was given to believers at the beginning of the first millennia, it remains a revelation for our lives here in the start of the third. This is our assurance, friends. Our divine assurance that though we struggle through the dark and rough patches of our lives, we will find the strength and hope we need for the way because we know we can be assured that at the end of the day, God in Jesus Christ is victorious over death and he will lead us on the pathway home. And what that means for us, friends, is that though there are many uncertainties and so many more injustices in this life, you and I can walk forward with confidence, with enduring hope, because whether we live or whether we die, we belong to God. And when we belong to God, rest assured, we are loved and supported in a way that will carry us from the darkness to the dawn of a brand new day. You know, lately, and maybe I'm not alone in this, I have found myself thinking that amongst the worst feelings we can have is to not have any sense of how things are going to turn out. To be in the midst of a situation and really have no indication as how the story is going to end. 
take right now, for instance. We don't know, for instance, how the election is going to turn out. We don't have any real sense of, of what that means for us as a nation and as a people, no matter who wins. We're still incredibly uncertain for what's going to happen with the coronavirus in the coming months and what kind of winter this is going to be. At this point, and I'm sure you started thinking about this, we don't even know what we're going to do about Thanksgiving and Christmas, much less how we're going to cope as the future unfolds. The fact is, friends, I wish we could see into the future, but right now we just don't know yet. And I'm sure it, for you as it is for me, it's hard in these present times not knowing how the world is going to turn. Well, let me share something with you. For all that we don't know, this is something I do know. This is something we all know. God is in charge. I love what Jim Somerville has said to all this. He says, I picture this like you would see it acted out on a stage. All that carnage and bloodshed out there on the stage, all the battles being fought, all the smoke rising up. The story, he says, at that point is at its worst, and you wonder how we could ever have a happy ending. But then, here's God. God who is going to clear the stage of all that bloodshed and carnage. God who is going to mop up the awful mess we've made of things. God who is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. In the end, he writes, God will make an end of death itself. And the last word will be the word of life. It will be the fulfillment of the highest and the best. It will be the triumph of God's love and that place where God dwells. And in that process, it will give us the hope and the strength and the assurance we need for the living of these days, no matter how this story unfolds, no matter what the days ahead might bring. That should be our hope today. It should be our hope every day, but especially right now. It is our sure and certain promise, and let us embrace it. May the Lord lead each of us to live this day and every day on earth as it is in heaven. And with every step along the way, may our thanks be to God. Amen. And that's the message entitled, At the End of the Day. And it was recorded for our November the 1st online service of worship at East Church in Concord, New Hampshire. By the way, you can always join us live for those online services of worship by logging on to Facebook Live on our East Church Facebook page each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. As these days of pandemic continue, we are finding great value in coming together this way. And we'd really love to have you be a part of it. And with that, we're at the end of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. Talk to you soon.